You can donate to the Historian's Podcast by clicking the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. Our New York City correspondent, Jim Kaplan, joins us. Jim's an attorney in Manhattan, a founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. Your story uh, that you're telling us today is about the importance of the Marquis de Lafayette. Jim Kaplan, uh, tell us about uh, Lafayette. Who was he? Why was he important both in France and what became the United States? Well, Lafayette, in many respects, has been one of the leading promoters of democracy, both in the United States and in France. And he's a very important historical figure, uh, I think, today on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, at the time of his life, he was very important in the American Revolution uh, and at one point in his early 20s held a very important position in France as an advisor to King Louis XVI and also as a proponent of a, kind of a constitutional monarchy in France, which obviously didn't uh, work out after the uh, uh, French Revolution and the uh, uh, the Jacobins, the more radical groups, took over. Um, but let me start with his uh, uh, how he became involved in the United States and was really a uh, had a father-son relationship with George Washington. His father had been killed when he was two in the Battle of Minden, which was the Thirty Years' War, the end of the Thirty Years' War in England, uh, in France rather, and in uh, and essentially the English had greatly defeated the French armies in that uh, war. So England was pr the predominant power in, in Europe uh, at the time. And the French had, a, particularly upper-class Frenchmen like uh, noblemen like Lafayette, were itching, you might say, to get revenge for their defeats in the 1760s. Uh, he went to the, one of the leading military academies where one of his classmates was Louis the Sixteenth. So when the American Revolution broke out, there were many Frenchmen who were very eager to fight on the American side against the British. Uh, Lafayette was somewhat unusual in that he had the resources. His wife was uh, connected to one of the richest families in France and closest to the French monarchy. Uh, so there was not just Lafayette's personal wealth, but also his wife's wealth, which he inherited at a very young age because of his the death of his father. Uh, and he uh, come in the, he bought a ship uh, with his own money to bring a small group over to the United States to fight in the American Army, uh, the Continental Army. Now, the Continental Army and George Washington were kind of leery of foreign fighters coming over, foreign adventurers who wanted to uh, uh, help out the American cause because they had, uh, many of them felt they had a, a many of them had ulterior motives. But Lafayette was so well-connected. He was quite a young guy. He was in his late teens. He was told by uh, American representatives in France, Benjamin Franklin, Silas Dean, hey, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, insult this guy. We really need, and we're going to need French help. And his family is in a position to really help us. So uh, treat him with great respect and, and uh, uh, you know, whatever you could do for him, hopefully make sure that nothing happens to him, because if he's killed in the American Revolution, that's going, that's going to be a disastrous uh, coup for the British. So uh, Washington put him on his 
personal staff, which had a number of young people, including Alexander Hamilton, with whom he was a close friend until Hamilton's death in 1804, uh, and uh, Washington, and uh, gave him the symbolic title of Major General, uh, and a Major General Sash, which would indicate he was Major General, even though he wasn't really supposed to do anything. You know, they were hopeful, although he did go to meetings on the, on the you know, they were planning the battles, and uh, in uh, 1777, uh, there was a, a disastrous battle, or 1776, uh, 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 at the Battle of Brandywine. The, the British had won the Battle of New York, and then they uh, were uh, uh, attempting to uh, take over. Uh, they surrounded Philadelphia. They attacked Philadelphia, which was the rebel capital, and uh Washington was again completely outmaneuvered. So in the high heat of this very disastrous battle for the American side, uh, the confusion, uh, they saw that the right line of the American side under General Sullivan was completely collapsing, and it looked like an entire rout. So what happened was uh, Washington got on his horse, a young guy, and ran out, said, I'm going to take care of this, and he ran out to the the American side, wearing his Major General sash, saying, well, I'm a Major General from Washington's staff, and you guys better form a line, and let's let's do an orderly retreat. General Sullivan and most of the American commanders were clueless, but Washington immediately, uh, Lafayette immediately took charge. Nobody knew who he was, even though he was, uh, you know, his late teens. They said, oh, geez, if this guy's from Washington's staff, we need more of them. And he essentially saved hundreds of American lives by organizing an orderly retreat uh so it wasn't it was pretty much of a disaster but it was it could have been a lot worse and after that he got hurt in that battle he was uh, uh almost killed actually he was uh, uh which certainly wasn't the idea and uh, uh washington when he heard he was injured was said to his key, his most important surgeon take care of this man as if he's my son and after that, for 50 years, Washington, uh, Lafayette's uh, reputation would in many ways be built a ride on his heroism at the Battle of Brandywine. One of the people who helped him out to get off the battlefield uh, was a young uh, Virginia militia captain named James Monroe. Now, Monroe in 1824 would be president of the United States, and they would be close friends of Lafayette throughout the uh, throughout their lives. Uh, so anyhow, that was, in a sense, the start of Lafayette's, uh, uh, you might say, rise. He, was, he later got more important commands in the American Army. He became known as the Boy General. Uh, and uh, uh, he then went back to France to try to raise French support for the American cause, which was beginning to flag after... Uh, uh, the, uh, in the after Valley Forge and then camped in Morristown. And uh, he, in essence, was able to convince the French government, the king of uh, France, to uh, send a major expedition to the United States to help prop up the American cause under General Rochambeau. There was some question as to whether Lafayette would lead it, but he was only about 23 and the French said, no, we can't have a young guy his age, although Washington was wrong with him, uh, leading this. So he brought a ship called the Hermion, which was one of the best constructed ships. It was constructed at the uh, Rochefort uh, 
a shipping yard in, in La Rochelle, France. Uh, and that led the second wave, if you will, of French soldiers. So that's what uh, uh, the Hermion is what uh, uh, we want to bring back to the United States uh, for its second voyage uh, for the 200th anniversary of Lafayette's triumphant return to the United States in 1824. Uh, the, the Hermion, uh, uh, after that, after the American Revolution, Lafayette was a very major hero, both in the United States and in France, because he had essentially helped to avenge the French losses in, uh, uh, in the, the Thirty Years' War. And his friend, Louis XVI, the, the, the young king, you know, could say that they had outdone their parents in terms of generation. Uh, of course, one of the problems was that Lafayette was, had had gotten the bug of uh, democracy. You know, since that had, which certainly wasn't the way the French uh, society was organized, and he wanted to have kind of a constitutional monarchy uh, like England in France, uh, which he was organizing with Louis the Sixteenth. Uh, and uh, uh, when the French Revolution brought out, he, of course, he claimed he was a revolutionary hero up in the United States, but uh, and he was in ch- placed in charge of protecting Louis XVI. Now, things got a little out of, I don't want to say out of hand, but uh, uh, the much more radical factions in the French Revolution, the Jacobins, uh, wanted to remake society from the beginning. One of the problems Lafayette and Louis XVI had was that France was really organized on a very conservative basis with great wealth, great gradations in wealth, and uh, uh, they may have wanted to change that, but uh, uh, they politically lost control. So uh, Louis, for a while, Louis the Sixteenth was kind of the head of the government, but under the control of the Jacobin uh, uh, factions, uh, and. Uh, uh, he decided, probably improvidently, that he was going to try to flee France to go to uh, uh, Austria, uh, where his uh, uh, and raise an army against the Jacobin Revolution. Uh, and he was caught before he got out, and therefore was executed, as you know, for treason. He was uh, 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 guillotined, uh, and uh, obviously Lafayette, who had been kind of. Charge of his protection was sometimes uh, viewed as a potential accomplice in his escape mm-hmm. uh, and an enemy of the Jacobin Revolution. So he had to flee France too. So uh, Lafayette, who'd had a very important position both in the French politic uh, 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 right after the American Revolution uh, and at the beginning of the French Revolution. Uh, basically had to flee to uh, Germany, where he was immediately thrown in jail by the German king for spreading the French disease of democracy. And he stayed there for uh, five years. What happened was the uh, uh, he never would really re- regain anything close to the position politically in France that he had, although he was always a hero in the United States. Uh, uh, he um, uh, was his wife's family was largely executed by the uh, uh, directoire of the French Revolution uh, in, the, in the reign of terror. Uh, the, it was actually the American ambassador to 
uh, France, appointed by Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, who was able to see, and, and James Monroe's wife, Kitty, was able to get, uh, save the life of Lafayette's wife, who was also slated to be uh, killed in the French, in the Reign of Terror. Uh, and uh, again, so there were very close ties between James Monroe and the Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, uh, Lafayette uh, remained in France. Uh, he lost most of his wealth and power. Uh, he was always a supporter of democratic movements, uh, uh, which were frequently not in uh, favor uh, in France. Uh, the, uh, uh, in fact, Napoleon was very afraid of him. Uh, and said he could only come back to France if he promised not to engage in political activity. And uh, subsequent monarchs were very wary of the Marquis de Lafayette throughout the rest of his life. Uh, in 1824, when the Marquis de Lafayette was 69, he was in a sense one of the few surviving heroes of the American Revolution. And it happened that the president of the United States at the time was James Monroe his old comrade, you know, lifelong comrade. And Monroe invited him to make a triumphant return to America uh, to visit, uh, uh, at which he had, there was tremendous adulation. The French government, which was then under the control of monarchs, was very wary of this whole thing. In fact, to some extent, they tried to stop him from going. But, you know, he received a uh, an invitation from the President of the United States and the you know, they have all this, uh, uh, but when he when he came to the United States in 1824, it was probably the largest cel- patriotic celebrations throughout the country of the 19th century, uh, particularly in New York City, in Boston, in uh, uh, Baltimore, in Philadelphia. Uh, he was feted uh, in New York. It was said that a hundred thousand people were here to greet him at Castle Garden when he. There was a reception at City Hall. He would meet old veterans. They'd talk about how they had, you know, it was like a a, a symbolic uh, return of the uh, reminder of uh, the American Revolution and the the ideals for which it was fought. This was at a time of great division politically in the city between Andrew and the country between Andrew Jackson and uh, John Quincy Adams and and, and the Federalists. But he was a unifying figure. In connection with the upstate New York reaction to uh, Lafayette uh, coming back in the 1820s, uh, he proceeded, I I believe, on the kind of the last legs of his journey in uh, America on the new or just finished or almost finished Erie Canal. And he had a a meeting at one of the the canal... uh, ports, I guess you'd say, called Schoharie Crossing with um, a revolutionary war hero from uh, the upstate New York and who uh, Lafayette recognized. They, he saw him uh, boarding his ship and he said, oh, it's, and I think his name was uh, Salmons. Uh, and well, anyway, they, they had this, you know, and I'm sure this was repeated throughout the country. There, they had this uh, great uh, reunion, and with kind of a historical tie, uh, the son of the man that he met uh, became uh, an officer uh, in the Civil War. And in fact, 
uh, was uh, badly wounded in the in the American Civil War. So, uh, I don't know, Lafayette sort of provides a certain amount of continuity uh, to the United States uh, in in terms of its history. Yeah, I mean, and that was true throughout throughout New York State and throughout the country. Uh, Washington Irving, uh, for example, talks about Lafayette when he was eight and the, the great adulation that, that there was for, you know, this was like, like it was similar to seeing in sense George Washington returning. After all, he had close ties to George Washington. You know, it was long gone by 1824. So, so it really had a tremendous impact in the United States. I mean, I think there's something like 16 different cities that are named Lafayette throughout the country. Uh, uh, the United States Congress voted him a, a stipend, if you will, of $200,000, which was unheard of, much more than any American uh, uh, got, because he'd lost his land as a result of his fights for democracy in uh, in France. So, so he was tremendously moved by uh, uh, the outpouring of support here in America. Uh, in France, it was much more muted. Uh, you know, it would only be later in the 1880s that people would look to uh, Lafayette's Fête de Fédération in uh, 1790, which was the high point of his power, uh, uh, as the, the inspiration for the, the modern French Republic. So I think Lafayette is really a very important unified figure throughout uh, in American and in French history. Uh, so uh, uh, it cannot be underestimated. Now, there is a Lafayette Bicentennial Committee, which is working on celebrating the 200th anniversary of his 1824 visit, uh, you know, which is, uh, has chapters throughout the United States. Uh, I'm on the New York Committee, uh, which you know, was one of his major stops. Uh, you know, we're hoping for a very important celebration of re-celebration, if you will, of Lafayette's 1824 visit really as a testament to the importance of democracy, which, as you know, has been a, an issue in the most recent elections. Uh, uh, I mean, Lafayette was a major international proponent of democracy, both in France and in the United States, obviously. And, and I think that's, that's quite important. Uh, let me go on to the Hermione. Uh, there was a replica of the Hermione that was... Uh, constructed in uh, 2000, uh, starting in the, in the late 19, early 1990s. Uh, uh, it was finally, after 10 years, finished in 2014 at the Rochefort Shipyard in uh, La Rochelle, France. Uh, like many shipyards, the shipyard supposedly was on uh, not the greatest economic uh, times these days. And uh, people in France uh, came up with the idea that if they could build a replica of Raphael's ship and sail it to the United States as a goodwill gesture, it could promote tourism and also promote understanding of the importance of Lafayette and the United States. So $22 million was raised by the French government, the French people, to uh, build this replica on the, they don't have a, the, the, the plants, the original Hermione, but they had a similar ship that was constructed in England. And that uh, sailed to the, up the eastern seaboard in 2015. We were, uh, uh, they got a very good reception from places like Philadelphia, Baltimore, where the mayor and the governor came out and the patriotic groups came out in Boston. For some reason, in New York City, perhaps given the nature of the city's 
thinking at the time. Uh, 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 the, the city government kind of, in a sense, turned a cold shoulder, in my view. To uh, uh, They said that they had difficulty meeting with the, the, the mayor and the governor's representatives, which was not true in other, in other communities. And uh, uh, the, the sailing of the, lot of the ship, which they had hoped that the camper of its visit would be at July 4th, they would be in New York, and you sailed to the Statue of Liberty, which was, as you know, also French-inspired. And they were going to put the ship at a, at a uh, an obscure pier in Brooklyn. I, I personally heard about this when I was a member of the uh, New Rochelle, where I live, the New Rochelle La Rochelle Sister Cities uh, Committee, which mentioned that you know that this ship had been this great project was going on in La Rochelle, France, and. Uh, 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 I, I was asked to go by Arthur Piccolo of the Bowling Green Association, with whom I've been active over the years, who I think has been on this program, to go to a meeting of the South Street Seaport Committee, which was discussing a very controversial project in uh, lower Manhattan for the building of the uh, office building, or a, a 40-story building in the South Street Seaport District. Uh, which they proposed to fund partially the South Street Seaport Museum, which is a, was in difficult straits, or is in difficult straits. Piccolo asked the chairman of the committee if I could speak for two or three minutes about the Hermion, which nobody had heard of at the time. And I said, what a disgrace it was that the people, to the people of the city of New York would not respond to this effort by the French to celebrate the great Marquis de Lafayette uh, because, you know, they put in all this effort and all this money, and and were we going to snub them by sending them to an obscure pier in Brooklyn? And it really should be at the South Street Seaport at Pier 16, which is one of the premier piers on the show. Uh, and uh, Mr. Piccolo, who's a very persistent guy, and to some extent myself, convinced uh, uh, particularly Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, who was a great supporter, that we should try to get the Hermion to, to dock at Pier 16, uh, which it did. Uh, so, uh, and even though the highest level uh, person who attended the uh, the opening was the mayor's commissioner of immigrant affairs, unlike elsewhere in this in the country, uh, we had a very good ceremony with uh, uh, where the uh, uh, head of the uh, uh, Hermion committee, a man named. Miles Young, who was the then chairman of Ogilvy and Mather, an Englishman, actually, uh, uh, you know, spoke very eloquently. Uh, uh, Craig Stapleton, who was a former uh, uh, important ambassador to France, and actually Henry Kissinger was there. I have a picture <laughs> of him with me. Uh, so, uh, you know, so and, and then we we, did, we had a parade, an impromptu parade the next day at, uh, uh, of the... Uh, uh, through Lower Manhattan, which was the first really July 4th parade in Manhattan uh, 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 since the bicentennial 35 years earlier. Uh, the major event on July 4th in New York City was, of course, at the time, and to some extent still is, the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest in Coney Island, which the mayor does attend, or did attend at the time. So, But in any event, uh, uh, so that was really, in a sense, the start of in my view, the uh, Lower Manhattan Historical Association, of which I'm now the chairman, uh, it's now the, the president is Ambrose Richardson, the uh, former head of the Sons of the Revolution, which runs uh, 
uh, Francis Tavern, with whom we're closely associated, the Francis Tavern Museum, uh, including Peter Hine, the, the now president of the Sons of the Revolution. Um, but uh, 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 that was really, in my view, the start of the catalyst for a much greater understanding of history in Lower Manhattan and the important part of it. And also, uh, it played heavily in the the fight over uh, the uh, development of the South Street Seaport as we became the backbone of the supporters of, in my view, we became the backbone, I should say, of the supporters of the uh, Howard Hughes Project, which is one of our backers, uh, uh, against its opponents uh, to uh, get the uh, funding source for the South Street Seaport Museum. So uh, at the... Uh, at a recent meeting at the Lower Manhattan Historical Association, and we do now do many more events, uh, I suggested that why don't we bring the Hermione back? And that's meant uh, an enthusiastic reception from uh, the Lafayette Committee and the French uh, Patriotic Committees, which are quite strong and participate with ours in our Saratoga Yorktown celebration. Uh, uh, the only problem is apparently that the Hermione is in rather bad shape in uh, uh, after it's, it travails uh, and it's uh, rotting, uh, and it will quite, we're told it will cost about $6 million to renovate it. Now, apparently a million and a half has been raised in France. Uh, whether uh, it could be financed in the same way as the Statue of Liberty, with half French, half American contributions, uh, remains to be seen. It'll have to be raised fairly quickly. Uh, but I believe that given the backing of the uh, uh, New York State, New York City, and uh, maybe even the federal government, as well as uh, French corporations here in uh, uh, French and American corporations here, here in New York, as well as individuals, it can be done. So that's what we're going to be having actually a call on in about two hours. Whether it can be done remains to be seen. Great art advocate of it. I think there's a uh, some of my colleagues on the lower men and the board of the lower Manhattan Historical Association have been somewhat skeptical whether a project of this size could be undertaken. It's got to be done in the next year and a half if it's going to be sailed here for the uh, uh, bicentennial of, uh, in 2024. I, I think it would be a tremendous boon to tourism, particularly of the seaport museums up and up uh, across the uh, uh, eastern seaboard, where uh, the Hermion went in 2015, and it would pay dividends many times over in terms of our vision of Lower Manhattan and the eastern seaboard as an important historical tourism destination, but uh, that that remains to be seen. Where is the um, replica of the Hermion now? Well, it's now at the uh, at the in the Rochefort uh, shipyard in uh, in uh, La Rochelle, France. Uh, and I understand engineers are looking at I don't know anything about what kind of shape it's in, although somebody's going to report on it uh, uh, at this meeting. Uh, uh, I, I think there is interest, you might say, in uh, in France, certainly, in, in getting it back into shape and sailing it to the United States. You know, we'd obviously like to see it here more often than, uh, uh, you know, I think it could be a great tourist attraction in New York city, state, and throughout the eastern seaboard uh, if it were to uh, uh, be brought back into shape. That's not certainly my, I, I'm not, I have no knowledge of 
I'm not an engineer or no knowledge of its uh, ability. I guess the, the question is the funding for it and uh, whether it could be raised. Uh, as I like to point out, the Statue of Liberty was uh, raised by a joint French-American uh, contribution. It, uh, uh, you know, there was great skepticism uh, at the time, and uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's turned out to be one of the major monuments of the United States and the world. So, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't go that far with this, but I think that uh, uh, it should be a very worthwhile project. And I encourage anybody who's listening to join with us. And Jim Kaplan, an attorney in Manhattan, uh, one of the principals of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association, talking about the life and legacy of Marquis de Lafayette. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Jim Kaplan also talks about this subject on New York Almanac.